I do want to uh, also thank the Lord uh, for taking an old wretched sinner like me and uh, saving him some 29 years ago and giving me an opportunity to serve him all these years. Uh, it'll be 30 years in about uh, five months that I've been a Christian, over half my life. I've spent in the ministry and serving the Lord, and it's, it's, I can't tell you what a privilege it's been, what a great honor it is uh, to be able to spend your life um, just serving the Lord. It's a great thing. And, and, and whether you have, I hate the term full-time, uh, a full-time worker for Christ. I, I think we're all full-time workers for Christ, because whether, whether you work at, uh, at Safeway or whether you work at uh, Target or whether you work at Walmart, Wherever you may work, you're still serving the Lord and you're still a servant of Christ. So I think that's important. Well, we're going to speak today from Mark chapter 2. So if you want to find that scripture in your Bible, Mark chapter 2. And I'm going to preach a message this morning that I've entitled, Crowds, Critics, and Christ. And we're going to see in our passage today three groups of people. We're going to see the crowd... We're going to see the critics, and we're going to see the crippled. So we're going to speak about these groups this morning. And as we speak about these groups, I want you to uh, try to consider which group do you fit into today. Uh, Let's stand as we read together from Mark chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 1, and I'll read through to verse 12. And you can read along with me silently. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's pray. Our Father, we stand before you this morning in humility. Standing before the great Creator God. Standing before the great Jehovah God. And now, Lord, as we have come together in this place, we come today seeking that you might speak to us, that you might strengthen us, 
that you might stir us, give us a zeal for you, light a fire within us so that we may go forth from this place, preach the gospel, and gather the harvest that you've prepared. I pray today, Lord, that you would bless our pastor as he is away, give him strength and give him rest during this time. And Lord, we, we ask today that your Holy Spirit would teach us and instruct us and would help us to see all truth. Thank you for this day and all those that are here. I pray that you would bless us in the time that we have, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I said earlier, we, we see three groups of people in this passage of Scripture. We see the crowds, we see the critics, and we see a crippled. Now, each of us present this morning will fit into one of these groups. So for the next few moments, I would like you to focus on only one person, and that person is you. Don't focus on your husband wives or on your wives' husbands. Don't focus on your children. Don't focus on your friends. Don't focus on those around you. Focus on yourself as we examine these three groups and see if you can find yourself in one of them. First this morning, I want us to look at the crowd. We read it just a moment ago in Mark chapter 1 and Verses 1 and 2. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Notice in verse 1 where it says, And it was noised that he was in the house. As was always the case, Jesus' presence drew a crowd. In the cities, along the shores, even in the wilderness, people gathered around him. The diseased, the despondent, the discouraged, the desolate, all came to Jesus for some type of help. And today in our churches across the world, we still often see the crowds gather around Jesus. And most of the times, These crowds gather seeking something. And each instance that we find in Scripture, when the people gathered in great numbers unto Jesus, it was for some very basic reasons, for some basic motives. And these same motives often today are the reason that men gather and seek the Lord. First, on your study sheets, I want you to notice they came seeking provision. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, we read, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Now this was a fairly common focus of people in the days of Christ. You see, in in Jesus' day, there was not a great diversity of industry. No unemployment. There were no welfare programs. People literally lived day to day. Clothing, shelter, food. 
These were luxuries to these people. But today, most of us in this room do not suffer a lack of these bare necessities. Yet, the crowds still gather today. They too gather seeking something from Jesus. Our society is built upon greed and gain. The more we have, the more we want. And if it means that we have to go into debt to have it, so be it. And after we have hawked our entire futures, then we turn to God. And we expect that God has to bail us out of all of the troubles that we've created for ourselves. Oh yes, men today, they gather and, and they seek God. And they seek provision from God. They have three cars that they're making payments on, a home mortgage. They have a pool in the backyard and it has to be paid for. They have five or six credit cards, all maxed out. And then they, they walk into a church and they have, they have a seat in a pew. They gather in crowds and they say, God, you said you'd take care of me. Where are you? Well, let me say this. <laughs> if you are a child of God today, then you need to learn to live within your means. And not worry at all about your provisions. You see, as I said earlier, we're a society of greed <coughs> and gain. You know, the worst thing you can ever do is sit down and watch the Home Shopping Network. That's the worst thing you can do. Because, did you ever notice everything they sell is $9.99? You ever notice that? $40 value, yours today for only $9.99. And if you act now, we'll send you a second item that you have absolutely no need for, for the same price. And you can go to the thrift stores 30 days later, and you'll find them there for 50 cents, because they're pieces of junk. But you see, we're creatures of greed and gain. And we... we Forget that we're children of God and our purpose in life is not to amass material things. Our purpose in life, as we studied in Sunday school, is to walk in righteousness and to submit and honor God. But we have to have it. And we say that God has to provide it. But let me say God has already promised us that he would provide our needs. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, we read, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But if you find that scripture in your Bible, underline needs. You don't need a $50,000 automobile. You don't need a $500,000 home. Amen? It didn't say, my God shall supply all your wants. My God shall supply all your greed. He said, my God shall supply all your needs. You know, Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. He didn't even have a bed. He didn't even have a pillow. Oh, we've, we're so materialistic in America. We're so greedy. And these crowds gather because they say, oh, God, you need to provide for us. Let me state that God always makes good on his promises, by the way. In Psalm 37, 
verses 23 through 26, David writes, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. And if we do lack anything, it's usually because we have been poor stewards of the provisions that God has already given us. You know what, what most Christians in America need is to learn the right priorities concerning finances. And if we prioritize our finances correctly, we find that God always gives us all that we need. You see, for the most part, the crowds gather not seeking God's glory. They don't gather to worship him. They don't gather for, for, to serve him. They mostly gather to satisfy their own needs and lusts. But then not only do they gather seeking provision, but secondly, they, they came seeking power. In Luke chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, I I read, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Now there were those in the crowds who coveted the power of Jesus and his disciples. They coveted the spectacular gifts. They did not seek the power of God so that they could serve him or glorify his name. They sought this power so that they might use it to their own advantages. And we still see this so often in our churches today. People will come into our fellowship seeking authority and power, craving for fame and recognition in the sight of men. There was a man who came to this church many years ago. Maybe just a few of you would, would know who he was if I, if I gave his name. And he came to our church, and he came for two or three months, and then one day he walked into the pastor's office and said, uh, I, I want to run for deacon. But he was a divorced man, and so he wasn't eligible to run for deacon. And when he found out that he couldn't be a deacon, he left the church. If he couldn't have power, if he couldn't have authority, if he couldn't have a title, if he couldn't have prominence, he wasn't interested in serving God. He was interested in serving himself. Craving for fame in the sight of men. But what does the Lord say about this? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 and 12, Jesus states, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. You know, the deacons in our church should be the, should be the biggest servants in our church. And praise God, they are. But no one should serve more diligently than those that are, have the, the most authority. That's God's way. You lead from the top. God delivers us from a bunch of deacons who will sit on the front row and, and pat each other on the back and won't lift a finger to do anything around here. But the first time a vote comes up, they stand up and, well, now, this is, let me tell you how it's going to go. These, these crowds, they sought this power. They sought this authority. 1 Peter 5 tells us, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting 
all your care upon him, for he careth for you. God's power is the means. His glory is the end. He gives his power so that we might glorify him. Use the power God has given you to bring glory and honor to his name. These crowds came seeking provision. They came seeking power. Then thirdly, they came seeking profit. John six sixty six. Boy, I struggled with this, putting this on there. The three sixes in a row kind of gave me the willies. But anyway, John six sixty six. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You know, that's actually a fitting statement for a verse like that, isn't it? Many went back. Uh, they went back to their homes. They went back to their old lifestyles. They went back to their old religious beliefs. But why did they go back? Because they realized what was expected of them, and they weren't willing to pay the price. In John 6, verse 60, we read, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? Oh, they were willing to go along for the ride. They enjoyed the free meals that came with following Jesus. And they were even uplifted, and they were inspired by his preaching and all the miracles he performed. But when Jesus started talking about bearing crosses, when he started preaching about righteousness and holiness, they decided the benefit was not worth the commitment. And I've seen marriages end this way, by the way. I've seen marriages end for a lack of commitment. I've seen children abandoned and forsaken this way. And I've seen countless people drop out of church this way. You see, the crowd was seeking the wrong things. They were seeking three things. Food, fame, and fortune. And in the end, they went away empty and sad. What about us today? Why are we here? What do we seek from Christ today? Well, can I tell you that as God's children, we should be here today out of obedience and seeking to praise and worship and glorify God. That's why we should gather around Jesus, so that we might glorify and and, and worship him. But there's another group I want us to consider today. The first group was the crowds. But secondly, in our story from Mark chapter 2, we see the critics. The critics. If you're still there at Mark chapter 2, look at verse number 6 with me again. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Now, in every crowd you will always find critics. They are those who look for the negatives in everything. Many years ago, I went to a seminar, and, and usually those things, you know, they, they, they give you a bunch of flowery statements which don't really amount to a whole lot. But my boss at that time said, go to this thing. It's going to really help you. I said, oh, okay. So he paid me to go sleep in a chair all day long. But the guy did make one statement that, that, that stuck with me. He said, you know, when you get up in the morning... You put on a pair of glasses, whether you wear glasses or not. And he said, you're going to put on a pair of glasses through which you'll see everything in a positive light. 
Or you're going to put on a pair of glasses through which you'll see everything in a negative light. And you know, what he said made some sense to me. Because really, it's all a matter of perception. But critics are people that always look at the negatives. The music. Oh, it's too fast. Oh, it's too loud. Oh, it's too slow. Uh, The pews. Well, I don't like them. They, They move around. I don't like the color. You know, we've got missionaries that don't have pews. Maybe he'd like these. Uh, The hymnals. We ought to use the hymnals more. I don't like to use the hymnals. Our hymnals are blue. I don't like blue. I always got something to criticize. The video system. I don't like that thing. Draws my attention away from the preaching. I don't like that thing. Take it out of the church. Uh, The preacher. People are critical of the preacher. Ah, he's too short. I don't like the way he says worship. (laughs) Edit that out of the tape here. (laughs) They criticize the preaching. They criticize the deacons. George, thank you, George, for admitting that. Uh, They criticize the school. They criticize the nursery. They criticize this. They criticize that. Everything is negative. To them, the glass is half empty. Now, in the passage today, we see that these scribes were critical of Jesus because he offered forgiveness of sins to this palsied man. They mistook Christ here as a mere man, a mortal just as they. And as a mere man, his proclamation of these sins being forgiven would be blasphemy. However, I must conclude that these men, as critics usually do, were ignorant of truth. And most of the times, critics are ignorant of all the facts. And that's why they criticize. You know, when a a, a man in authority has to make a decision... He usually has more information at at hand than the average person. So the average person may not agree with his decision because they don't know everything. How many of you know everything? How many of you know everything there is to know about God's word? Then don't be critical. You know, when his pews were purchased, they did a lot of research. When, when we make decisions around here, usually followed, it's usually followed by a lot, a lot of information gathering. Am I right, deacons, guys? But these critics, they were ignorant. They were ignorant of the fact that they were standing in front of God himself when they began to criticize him. Now, what drives the heart of a critic? Let me share some thoughts with you. Now, there are many possibilities, by the way, that drives the heart of a critic, but I just want to look at two. First, let me say they were consumed by jealousy. These these scribes and Pharisees, they were consumed by jealousy. Acts chapter 13, we read in verses 44 and 45, And the next Sabbath day uh, came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. You see, the scribes and Pharisees, they could not defeat this man, Jesus. 
He confounded them with his doctrine. He exposed them with his preaching. He humbled them by his miracles. Yet beside all this, they hated him even more. You see, the scribes and Pharisees could not see the truth in Christ because they were too busy clinging to their own traditions. They could not fit their traditions into Christ's doctrine, and this bred jealousy, which led to bitterness and hatred. Hear me today, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Put away bitterness before it destroys you and everyone you love. God's word warns us of this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, where we read, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Don't be jealous of others who can do what you cannot do. I think of of Bob and Steve back there on the sound system. Sometimes I go back there and fool around with it for a school event or something, trying to get, and it takes them like two months to straighten up what I did in five minutes. But I don't sit around here saying, well, that's not fair to Bob and Steve get to control the sound all the time. I should be able to do it. You wouldn't want to hear the sound that'll come out of this this pulpit if I'm back there. Don't be jealous of people. If someone can do something you can't do, don't be jealous of them and critical of them. Praise the Lord that, that he gave someone that ability. By the way, you probably have the ability to do something they, they can't do. Utilize what God, the talents God has given you and serve him. Don't be jealous of those who have what you do not have. Somebody pulls up with a new car, don't be jealous of them. Someone buys a new home, don't be jealous of them. Pity them, by the way, is what you should do, pity them, because now they've got to make a payment every month. Oh, I was the happiest man when my car, when I paid off my, my Ford Explorer, I was, whew, wow, that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful experience. Don't be, don't be jealous. Jealousy, jealousy is a horrible thing. Rejoice with your brothers. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Boy, wouldn't that be wonderful if that could be said of us? And when our brothers and sisters in Christ hurt, we hurt with them. And when, they, when they're honored, we rejoice with them. Je- jealousy will cause us to become critical, to become negative-minded. This will lead to discontent, which will lead to bitterness, which will lead to hatred. And this is exactly where we see these critics in today's passage. Do you fit into this category of critics? If so, go home and take off those negative glasses and put on a positive pair of glasses handmade by the Holy Spirit of God. And then the second thing that drives critics, let me say this, they were captives of judgment. They were captives of judgment. In Matthew chapter 7 and verses 1 and 2, we read, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. These critics could not help but be judgmental of others. Judgment was at the very core of their religious system. You see, they had developed a system of standards, and these standards determined the spirituality of an individual. They lived and died by this system of standards. In Colossians chapter 2, we read, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, 
Why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men. And if you do not conform to these standards, then you will be judged. And the sad reality is that they could not help but do this, because the standard had become greater than even the Lord. And their faith and hope rest in these standards. And if they have to stomp you into the ground, their standards are more important than even the word of God itself. And we see this today as well. Men today determine our worth as a Christian by what they see on the outside. And this is the viewpoint of the standard bearer. To be acceptable in their sight, we must dress like they do, wear our hair like they do, listen to the music they approve, and so forth. These put all the focus on the outside, all the while having absolutely no concern or control of the inside. Later, I I encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 23 and read read verses 25 through 28. Uh, For time's sake, we're going to go on past that. But we are not called to become standard bearers. We are called to become image bearers of Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Romans 8, 29, we read, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Our inward attributes should mirror those of Christ. We should have patience. We should have love. We should have forgiveness and so forth. The standard bearer does all that he does in an attempt to gain acceptance and approval in the sight of God and in the sight of men. The image bearer yields and allows himself to be used by the indwelling spirit of God to manifest the character of Christ through him. Paul states in Philippians chapter 1, Verses 20 and 21, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. We read that scripture this morning in Sunday school. Paul said, I want my life to, to project the image of Christ for those that will see me. But these critics, they were filled with jealousy and judgment. Is this the group with which you want to be identified? I think not. But then lastly this morning, we see a third group. That is the crippled. The crippled. Back in Mark chapter 2, in verses 3 through 5, we read, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now here we see a man who was sick of the palsy. Palsy is a disease that affects both the nervous and the muscular systems of the body. There are many different types of palsy. But all are crippling and debilitating to the inflicted person. A man stricken with palsy was helpless. He could not work. He could not travel. He was at the mercy of those around him. 
This brings me to the other men associated with the crippled. When we read the story, we notice that the palsied man was so severely afflicted that he could not walk to Jesus. So helpless was he to come to the one who could heal him of his affliction. But we see his four friends. Now these men didn't just pity their friend. They didn't just feel sorry for him and wish he could be better. They did something about it. They got him to Jesus. Now with the time remaining this morning, I want to notice three characteristics of these four men. I would hope that we can find these character traits in our own lives this morning. First, I want us to see concerning these four men that they were filled with compassion. Look again at verse number three. It says, And they come unto him, Jesus, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. These four men cared enough about their friend to do something about his condition. They were not content to just wait and see and hope for the best. They were moved with compassion and did something meaningful to help. Think for a moment this morning about the Good Samaritan as as, uh, related to us in, in the story in Luke chapter 10. You had the priest and you had the Levite. These men who who came across this same uh, man fallen by the wayside. And and they just, I'm sure they pitied him. I'm sure they felt sorry for him. I'm sure they wished that uh, it wouldn't have happened to him. But they did nothing to help him. Nothing. But then we see the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan came to him and and, and, and cared for him and dressed his wounds and, and laid him upon his own, his own donkey and brought him to his own home and put him in there and paid someone to take care of him. And Jesus asked his disciples, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Each of you here today, you have relatives or you have friends or neighbors who are helplessly and hopelessly lost without Christ. There is nothing they can do to help themselves. And let me ask you this, what are you doing about it? Are you witnessing to them? Are you praying for them? Are you willing to carry them to Jesus? So these four men we see today, Today we're filled with compassion. Oh, God, be it be in God's will that our hearts, you and me, our hearts would be filled with compassion for those around us. But then secondly, I want us to see that they were filled with confidence. Not only were they filled with compassion, they were filled with confidence. These men knew that Jesus could help their friend. They were so certain, they put him on a, on a cot, on a bed, and brought him to Jesus. That reminds me of a story in in the scriptures. Turn with me, leave a marker there in Mark, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and let's look at verse number 5. Matthew chapter 8, and let's look at verse number 5. We read here, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, And saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. 
The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. This centurion had confidence in Jesus. He knew that all Jesus had to do was speak the word. Now let me get closer to home this morning. Do you have confidence in Christ today? If you're sitting here without, without Christ lost, will you have confidence today for your own salvation? In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, we read, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you have confidence today in Christ for your salvation? Those of you who are saved, do you have assurance? Do you know? Do you have confidence in your salvation today? If you don't, don't blame Jesus. Don't blame God. Do you have confidence today, Christian, in God's sovereignty? and His, in his ultimate authority? In his ability to care for you. Here we are today leveraging all kind of deals because of a poor economy. Once you leverage a deal with God, just trust him. Be faithful. Pray. Tithe. Serve him. Honor him. Do you trust him and do you have confidence in his sovereignty? Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. God is supreme in everything. Yes, these four men were confident that if they could get their friend to Jesus, all would be made well. But then also I want us to notice that these four men were filled with commitment. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 2. They were filled with commitment. Verse 4, when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. I mean, these four guys ripped this guy's roof off. They didn't just get there and say, oh, well, it's too crowded. We'll just have to try again next time. Let's go. We're going home. That's not what they did. They climbed up on the roof. They lifted their friend up, up there in his bed. And they began to tear a hole in the roof. Imagine if Brian had a block party and somebody wanted in and they climbed up on his roof and, and ripped a hole in it. Would you be happy about that? No. 
Nobody would be happy about getting your roof ripped off. But they did it. They ripped a hole in the roof. And they lowered him down with a rope. They were committed. They were getting their, they were getting their friend to Jesus. And nothing was going to stop them. Now, I could spend an hour just preaching on this. But I think that you all understand what I'm trying to say here. They were totally committed to getting their friend to Jesus. No matter what the obstacle. No matter what the cost. Crowds, critics, and Christ. Now, back to the beginning. Did you find your group this morning? Are you a part of the crowd? Seeking what you can get from Jesus? Desiring the things you want, but neglecting the things that God desires? Are you one of the critics today? Are you filled with jealousy and judgment? Are you a whited sepulcher filled with dead man's bones? Are you a crippled? Helplessly and hopelessly lost? Unable to do anything? To help yourself? Are you one of these four men who is filled with compassion, filled with confidence, and filled with commitment to God in your life? Well, the good news is that whatever group you are in, Jesus is here to help you get into the right one. He is here to save your soul and give you new life. Or he is here to help get you into the group of these four men. The group that is filled with compassion, with confidence, and with commitment. He is here today to change you into the image of his son. In just a moment, we will dismiss this service and go to our homes. The only question is... Will you leave this place the same way you arrived? Or will, God, will you leave this place the way God wants you to be? I leave you today with these verses of Scripture. In James chapter 1, verses 22 and 25 to 25, we read, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Let us pray. Father, we do indeed praise you and thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we tried this morning to be, a, be an encouragement and a help to God's people. We tried this morning to, to help each person examine themselves and judge ourselves as we're commanded to do. And to seek to do those things that glorify and honor you. Father, as a body of believers, as a church, that is our desire. To worship, to serve, to honor you and glorify your name. I pray now as we sing a, a song of invitation that you would speak to our hearts 
and that we would make the decisions this morning that you have called us to make. And when we leave this place today, that we would leave with a fervor and a desire to do those things that you've called us to do. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for these things and all glory and honor will be yours. For it's by your grace that all things are done. So bless us now as we dismiss our service. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.